Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Okay, have a seat. You're about to listen to the most amazing person, Ed Milet. I can't believe him. He's like a cyclone of motivation. Make a list out of everything you want in your life right now, right now. Stop, do it. Ed's going to give you the motivation to get you there. I promise you that. This guy is amazing. Um, I read your wife was in business with you, but then I read she was not. I'm confused. Is she in business with you? Did she start the business? She started in business with me. Well, actually, she started in kindergarten with me, which we go way, way back. I was in first grade. She was in kindergarten. So she grew up down the street from me. So she's known about all my crazy dreams since we were really little kids. You know, I was the crazy dreamer kid and she was like the beautiful. And I came back from kindergarten class the first day, Barbara, I said, daddy, there's a brown girl in my kindergarten class and I want to marry her because she was the only Mexican girl in the class. I thought she was gorgeous and it ended up happening. But yeah, she started in business with me. Yeah, she she was my partner in business in the beginning and then sort of ran the back office for a while. Then we kind of just made an agreement when we had kids, you know, her dream was to be able to stay home and sort of do business stuff from home rather than come in the office every day. And so we kind of made my dream and her dream happen simultaneously. So now less business, more family for her. Yeah. I'm curious about something. You said you met her in kindergarten. When did you hook up again? Like you met her on the road when you were 25 or what happened? No, we were high school sweethearts. And then uh, when I went away to college, we had a little breakup for a couple of years, which in hindsight was probably really a good thing, right? So we both did our thing and figured out, no, we were with the right one already. So no, we've been together really probably 40, what am I? I'm 50. So we've been probably together 35 years, married 25 years. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I have nine I siblings and of the nine siblings, four married, the high school sweethearts is still married. The six wow. that didn't have been remarried two or three times, including me. I, I know your story. You told sweetheart. me that on my yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe there's something in this high school sweetheart thing, you know? Well, you know what it has done for me, honestly, is I'm with somebody that I know that loves me, not for the stuff I've acquired, you know, but more for who I am. And the other part of it is I've kept all of my money. I haven't had to split it up. (laughs) So, you know, that part isn't bad either. So even if you fall out of love, you're not going to divorce or anything too much at this point. We're we're recording this, right? So I'm not going to go there, but, but hopefully that never happens. I don't have to worry about it. So far. I'm going to send you my attorney in case it does. No, 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 not your attorneys. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay. So uh, you speak very openly, which um, I always think it's amazing when people do. Okay, about your father being a heavy drinker, right out there. Uh, My dad was a periodic drinker, but he was a fabulous dad despite that somehow. And it always made me wonder who was going to be at the table at night. Mm -hmm. Kind of created a kind of permanent source of anxiety in me. How did that affect your personality? Or was it just a bump in the road and you went past and it hasn't really had an effect? Big effect. By the way, same exact thing, except mine was when he would come through the front door. So a couple of things, how it affected me. Number one, I've grown, I've realized as I've gotten older in life that I create chaos. 
it's kind of a common emotion I like to draw to myself. And I think it's because I grew up in it and I function well in it and it's familiar oh, to me. Oh. And I think we draw into our lives that which we're most familiar with, maybe just in oh. different ways, shapes and forms. And so for me, it's like nothing's ever enough. I got to create more chaos. And so it affected oh. me that way. That's maybe the negative part. The positive part, though, is I really only have two or three skills in business that I've really utilized mm -hmm. to my advantage and made you know pretty good living doing. And that is one, I read people very well. And two, I'm pretty good at communicating and changing their state. What is that born from? That's born from what you described. When my dad would come through the front door, I was a little boy, three younger sisters. I had to read right away. I'm talking five, six years old, this little boy, when daddy would walk through the door, I had to read him, which, which guy just walked through. Is this drunk dad where I've got to kind of hide my sisters and my mom and kind of talk him into a good mood? Or is this sober dad, we're going to go in the backyard and play catch and have a great dinner as a family. So I would have to read him oh. and be present with him. It's probably my number one skill in my business life. Since it I almost started. made you the parent at that early age to a degree, right? I never, I never had a childhood. So oh. when you talk about having anxiety and fears, I was never really a little boy. I didn't have oh. the opportunity to have that. But what it did do for me is it's realized me, I've realized later in life, everything has happened for me and not oh. to me. And, it, and it's very true in hindsight. And I think in mm -hmm. life, if you can have some sort of hindsight vision in the present and have some perspective about, you know, I'm reading right now, Think and Grow Rich again, I'm staring at it. And in Think and Grow Rich, he says, when you go through a very difficult time, Napoleon Hill says, you get introduced to your other self mm. on the other side of it. Mm. And all the difficult things I've had in my life, the upside of them has been on the other side of it. Mm. There has been another self, typically a better version of me, a maybe a more mature, a little bit more insight, a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more confidence. And so I've introduced myself to another self many times, but I started doing that at like five, six, because I didn't have a childhood. Do you think uh, that's true of everybody? However, do you think people have to go through adversity to find their better self? I think I've, you and I both know we've seen people do it both ways. Yeah. And and uh, my path, I just think that most people experience pain in their life of some form. Mm. And you have to decide at some point, what does this mean? If I'm going to get pain, which I'm going to, I ought to get something for my pain. And all pain is temporary. Everything is, our bodies are temporary, right? So mm -hmm. if you can just have some perspective, say, I'm going to survive the temporary. I'm going to push through the temporary. I wrote a book that's coming out. I'm, I'm not, I'm here to plug it, by the way. Oop, the power Good, of I'll plug it with you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, it comes out, you can pre-order it now. But the reason I wrote the book is here's the, here's the philosophy that leads to the answer to your question. I believe you're one more something away from a different life. Mm. One more meeting, one more relationship, one more thought, one more emotion, one more strategy, mm. one more call. And if that's true, those can be positive calls, positive meetings, positive relationships, they can also be negative ones. What we think are negative. I've learned a lot from my, my dad got sober, by the way, for 35 years. Mm -hmm. I learned that people can change from my dad. I watched him live one way the first half of his life. And then I watched a completely different person in sobriety live his life. And my dad, by the way, stayed sober. I used to say, daddy, are you going to stay sober forever? He goes, I don't know. I'm going to stay sober for one more day. Mm. And then tomorrow I'm going to stay sober for one more day. And I've used that, Barbara, like not quitting things. Mm. I'm not, I'm not going to decide I haven't quit my marriage forever. I haven't decided I'm not going to quit a business forever. I'm just not going to quit for one more day, mm. one more day. And we'll see mm. how I do tomorrow. And I've sort of used that analogy most of my life for good and bad. So the answer is, I don't think it has to all be bad for you to win. No, mm. I've seen people have very pleasurable lives and be very successful, but more people are like you and I, where there was some adversity and some love mixed in there. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think stops people from adopting that philosophy you have? What makes someone not have the faith that they could just do one day that leads to the next day of change? I think it's the meanings we take away from events. So you can have four siblings grow up in an alcoholic family and all of them turn out differently, just like you've described with your siblings, right? So it's not of the, I don't think it's the events of our lives that define us. It's the meaning we take away from the event. And that meaning then creates an emotion, that emotion creates an action. So your ability to change what things mean or frame things to mean things that serve you has a mother Teresa, you and I would see someone get killed in a car accident. We'd be witness to it and see the body go. This is the most tragic thing I've ever seen in my life. That event, mother Teresa would see it and say, this is the honor of my lifetime to be with someone as their spirit passes to heaven. So same exact event, different meaning. That's an extreme example, but same thing. Having an alcoholic father for me was a gift that I learned to have a little bit more humility. You know, I, I, nothing's ever promised every day. I learned from my dad. I watched him change. I know that human beings can be, have nuance, good and bad things to them. And so I really believe it's the meaning you take from an event. If a a relationship fails or a business fails, what's it mean? Was there meaning in there? Was there a lesson in there? Or is this just random stuff happening in your life for no reason? And you're a victim. For a a lot of people, um, they're going to get their own meaning going, as you as you so well put it. Uh, But they look at things in a negative way, no matter what, or positive way. You think that can be changed in an individual or is that the bend in their personality? I think we have a bend. I think you're right. And I know that it can be changed. And so do you, because I've changed it. I'm a naturally, I think you might have a skosh of this. Well, you're not naturally negative. You're, you're naturally so positive. I think most people would think that, but I think if you were around me day to day and you've been around me my entire life, I think that really know me to say he's a worrier. I'm a worrier. I, I, uh, I, I think there's two things that pull us in life, right? Pleasure and pain moving towards our dreams. That's certainly been, I'm a big dreamer and a big thinker. But I have to tell you, I've also been equally afraid to be broke. I have fears. I know what it's like to wonder if my dad didn't show up for a week, you know, were we going to eat? I don't like that feeling. And so I've leveraged both of them. I, I do. You and I have people that are relatively successful friends that have that bend that's towards the negative. But you and I have also talked about all the material stuff in the world. If you acquire all of it and you still have this bend towards skepticism and cynicism and negativity, Mm. you can live that way. The external stuff doesn't really change you. So I'm not saying I'm Pollyanna. I'm not positive all the time, but I am looking for meaning. I do have some faith in things. I I just happen to think this life means something, that it's not a random collection of cells that we just pass through time and, you know, fly around and go to barbecues. I think there's more to it than that. And so Mm. I'm always looking for the meaning And I guess I'm trying to find the positive meaning in most things, or at least the lesson. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what is called growth. Taking no lesson and no meaning from something means no growth. Mm -hmm. And so pain is growth. I go to the gym and I work out. I'm I'm tearing down that muscle to build it back up again. So there's a meaning and a purpose to that pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a big believer in you got to find the meaning. How did, uh, one of the things that really impressed me was reading about you playing baseball in college and you were the mm-hmm. NCAA, am I saying that right? I'm not a sports yes. fan, leader yes. in stolen ba- bases. Uh, but then you had a terrible injury. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious how you got over that. That would set most people back, especially young people. And then mm-hmm. you got the job working with underprivileged boys. I'm wondering how that all played out. And was that the beginning of a large spin or change in your life that you mimicked? all along the way. 
huge moment of my life. So I had, a, like most people, my first dream ended. Mm. And I made the mistake that a lot of people make, that my identity was tied up in what I did, not who I was. Mm. When your identity is tied in what you do or what you can create or what you have, that's a really weak mm. way to live because it can be taken from you at any time. But if your identity is tied up in who you are, that can be a constant. Mm. So I learned the lesson pretty young. This who I am stuff, notoriety, baseball, achievements, home runs, bases, that's fleeting. And it, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of pain if it's tied up. And if, if, if all your bliss and happiness is conditional on what you produce or what you do or who you know, mm. that's pretty empty stuff. So I learned that it's lesson. I, and again, my dad's drinking came in. Barbara, my dad's first AA meeting, he comes back from, I'm living at his house. He says, I got you a job. You're not gonna be eating out of my fridge anymore. I said, what do you, I'm living back in the same bed I grew up in. He goes, I go, well, what is it? He goes, you don't get to choose, dude. Get your butt down there. You're eating out of my fridge. And I show up at this place and it's an orphanage. Oh. It's an orphanage for boys. And I walk into this cottage, cottage eight. These boys are eight to 10 years old and they all turn and look at me before school. I'm totally ill-prepared. I'm not a psychologist. I don't have any kids of my own, but- I was placed in this environment where what I learned from these boys was this. They wanted someone to love them. Their boy, they were either molested, parents were incarcerated or dead. They mm. wanted somebody to love them, believe in them, care about them, and show them how to live a, just a little better. So mm. I'd take them to school, trick-or-treating, open Christmas presents. I became their father. Their with brother. an open heart just like that? Or was it more with an attitude of, God, how did I get stuck here? Like right from the get-go, you said, okay, I'll do the best I can. I'm going to tell you, yeah. I grew up with that kind of dysfunction in a different way. Mm. And again, my dad's, my story set, not enough people are putting the pieces together in their lives. Mm -hmm. I grew up the way I did to end up in that orphanage. So I could go, I don't know your deal, but I know what it's like to not have a parent doing the right stuff. Mm. And so I connected with them. And then when I was there, Barbara, I started in business and you know what I figured out? You're great at this. And I'm firm and I'm, I'm a tough, you know, you could tell I'm a, I'm, I'm a dude, right? And you're, you're, a, you're a push people. You're a hunky dude. If my, I might just say the word hunky. Yeah. You keep telling me that I'm going to start believing it. So keep yeah, telling you me. Believe that. it, baby. <laughs> believe it. But I have to tell you, you know what I found out about grownups in business? Mm. I'm talking about every boardroom I've ever walked in, every deal I've ever done, every jet I bought, every house. You know what the deal is? Humans want someone to love them, care about <laughs> them, believe in them and just do a little better. And if you can keep that in mind, if you're meeting the most famous, powerful person, you meet Barbara Corcoran at Starbucks, or you meet someone that's just starting out in your company, they have a need to be loved, cared for. Mm. Really a big one is to be believed in mm. and then coach me, show me how to be better. Last thing I'll tell you, there's, there's four types of people. There's people that are totally unmotivated. Then there's motivational people. They move you with motives. You do this, you get money. You do this, you get this trophy. You do this, you get this house, which mm. is powerful. Then there's inspirational people. They're even mm. more rare. Inspirational people move you. The root of that is to be in spirit. They touch you emotionally, that you feel things from them. There's an energy from them you feel. Those are influential people. Then there's the highest level people. They are aspirational. These are people you aspire to be mm. more like, that you can emulate. And I've sort of gone through my life as all four people. I was not motivated. Then I became a very motivated person. Then I'd like to think I was inspirational or am. And now I'm working on being aspirational mm -hmm. where people can aspire to be more likely. And I think you've had that journey. People, you're now, you've been given this platform where so many people aspire to be like you. Mm -hmm. And it's such a privilege to have it. And so that started at the orphanage. And because mm -hmm. those little boys aspired to be like me. 
and it and it's transcended my entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit I had a very uh, s- uh, parallel situation. A job in college I was a house mother, got paid to sleep there, cook, uh, help eleven little girls. Well, they weren't so little; they were eleven to sixteen wow. with their homework and keep them on course. And I could not do it. I realized right away it was too depressing. And even though I had everything going for me in my life, I had parents who loved me, I had a home, uh, I could not deliver like that. I think that takes, I think that takes a special individual. Uh, and at your young age, I'm, I'm actually amazed that you were able to take on that role and do a great job. I could not have done it myself at all. Hats off to you. Thank you. Maybe my background prepared me a little bit for it, that that was my unfair advantage, because I certainly don't think there's a whole lot of special talents in me that caused me to be very good at it. But certainly my background was maybe a calling for it. Mm -hmm. I think your attitude called for it, too. And I think maybe if I could do it again, maybe I go in with a little bit different attitude, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a lot of those, too. Trust me. Do you ever have resentment to your dad? Curious about that, because I did till the day my dad died. I loved him dearly. And in hindsight, I almost wish I had said something to him like uh, whatever. And my older brother said something to him. And he said, I forgive you, dad, for everything you did to us as little kids. I know you didn't mean it. And my father on his deathbed looked up. He said, what did I do? God, it's kind of weird, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm blessed that he ended up being sober so long. There's certainly things I resent. There's moments, you know, as a parent, we've all made mistakes as parents, right? That we go, I can't believe I just said that. Oh my gosh, that's what a parent's for, to make mistakes. But but there are situations, here I am 50 years old, and there are still, in fact, yesterday, so strange you asked that. Yesterday, I was sitting and a door slammed in our house, and it reminded me of a situation where my dad just whacked me really good one day before I went out to fourth grade. And I was already an insecure little guy living in this environment and not, I was little and didn't feel good about myself. And as I'm leaving the house, he whacks me. I just mouthed off to my mother, but he overreacted. And I remember that walk to school, like, to be honest with you, being depressed, I actually thought Mm. about, does life matter? Should I be here? Mm. Mm. And so there are moments I don't resent him. I don't, but I do have moments where I learned a lesson. I don't want to ever do that to my son or my daughter. If I, I've done it in different ways, you know, made those kind of mistakes, but I don't resent it. But there are certainly things that we do to each other as humans that are never forgotten, even as a 50 year old man. And my dad was my best friend when he passed away, but I'd still, you still don't forget those things. No, you don't, but uh, it's, uh, at least you had a happy ending in many ways. It makes up for a lot. Uh, what kind of a dad are you? Are you a tough guy, a pushover? I would say that I'm a good dad. My wife is an amazing mother. So the combination that's out pretty good. I don't say that with humility. I like you. I mean, there are things I've missed. Mm. You know, there there oftentimes my wife will say, do you remember when Max? I have no memory of it. You know, I either wasn't there if I'm being candid or Mm -hmm. I was there, but I wasn't there. If you know what I mean, I was in business mode and I regret some of those things. I'd say I'm probably more of an encourager and a pushover, particularly with my daughter. Um, well, who wouldn't be every dad is <laughs> I am but I I've said a I, I think most things in life are caught not taught mm. and I think they've watched me great expression yeah I think they've watched me and they're both pretty ethical giving people and they both I know they work really hard they've learned that there's a reward for work I was lucky that I wasn't very wealthy when they were little and yes. that they watched it happen I always worry about kids that are born into wealth and maybe the parent is done the paying the price part. So they saw the work part. They saw, they still do. They see it to this day. So 
I think my example is a good example. I've made a lot of mistakes in doing it, but I also have made them earn things. You know, they both bought their own cars when we could have bought them cars. And mm-hmm. I my, remember when my daughter came home from like fourth grade and someone in the class told her that we were rich. And she said, daddy, she got in the car. I picked up, I remember going, daddy, she looks at me, are we rich? <laughs> and we're living in an oceanfront big old house, you know, at the time. And she's never flown on a commercial plane at that time in her life. And she goes, <laughs> are we rich? She goes, are we rich, daddy? I go, I don't know, Bella Boo, how much money you got? She goes, I got like $10. I go, well, I don't know if I'm rich, but you're definitely not rich. You're broke. And I wanted to instill that in her like, hey, this is your game to play. You ain't playing my game. Now, she doesn't know. Probably she'll be pretty well taken care of. But to this day, if she doesn't see this show, she she thinks she's on her own to make it happen. And I want her to think that for a while. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. Now let's get back to the show. What about kids that, of course, know when they're uh, raised with affluence yeah. that they're pretty well taken care of, to use your words. Yeah. Uh, what you think it's harder to get a good kid out of that lot than it is when a kid is struggling? As a parent, you think it's harder to do a great job and turn out a great kid? Well, you and I both, you, that. Yeah. you and I both, well, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of our friends are affluent and some of our friends aren't. But I know that the biggest worry of my affluent friends is the adult child who's in trouble all the time. Is not that, motivated even. Yeah. I can say this. I tell people this often. When I'm playing golf, I hate to say it this way because I've been wrong before, but when I'm playing golf and I meet somebody, I can almost instantly tell with a man in particular whether they were raised with a bunch of money oh. or whether they weren't. There's a softness to them. There's a softness. There's something past. There's just a subtle. Listen, you know this. You you got to have an edge. There's an edge to those of us that have had to break generational wealth type things, right? There's an edge. There's a a hunger, a desire, a passion, a an edginess, almost like you know, this person will slice me. You're not in a bad way, but you know what I mean. Like they're competitive as heck. We want to win, right? We want to win. And if you lack that thing, mm. almost, I don't know if I want to call it a killer instinct because it's a negative connotation, but I know you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hard thing to give a child raised in abundance is that gift of hunger, of desire. How do you learn hunger when you're not hungry though? Isn't that an impossible task? I think, I think the parent has to create scenarios where you're hungry. And that may be that they don't think they're going to, they, maybe they have to get their own car. Maybe their grades, there's a standard you set for grades or things of that nature that they've got to compete for things. I, I wanted to find things they had to compete at. I wanted my kids to have one thing I did avoid when they'd get in trouble at school or there were issues at school, not intervening, making mm-hmm. them work things out for themselves. Daddy's not always going to rescue you. So many parents are overly involved. And I think, I think some of that stuff is like, Hey, you know what? You're supposed to cry some days at school. You're supposed to finish fifth sometimes. Mm. And so anything I could do to kind of create that edge, because I certainly grew up with it. I know that you did. So for me, it's actually as a parent, if you have some abundance or affluence is actually really making that a priority. It became a priority for me Mm. early. I thought they'd get ethics and morals and all that stuff pretty good from their mom, especially a little bit for me. I wanted them to leave my home with that, but I want them to have confidence, real confidence. And real confidence comes from keeping the promises that you make to yourself. 
confidence is a contract with oneself. So I wanted them to have to constantly keep commitments to themselves, not me or someone else. Oh. That's not confidence. So I would make them do things where they'd make commitments to themselves and keep them. Now mm -hmm. I know I'm having a confident person leave my home. Mm -hmm. And then I try to do things where they'd have to compete a little bit to have that edginess. And then, you know what, you got to just pray stuff turns out. Okay. Cause you can do everything right. You know, this in business, any business, you do everything right. Timing's wrong, right? You do everything right as a parent and they get in the wrong crowd and that crowd influences them more than you did. So some of it is just, you got to pray, I guess that it turns out right, but you can do your part. And I think we did all right. Mm -hmm. I did pretty good. I, the part that worried me, I was raising my kids because unlike you, I had my kids late. I was 46 starting my family. So I already, had made it. So they, uh, they were born into an affluent family. Mm -hmm. um, I think the very hard thing with uh, teaching confidence to affluent children, though, and not just my own kids, and I'm not so sure they're confident, thank God, I think it was an accident. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the hard thing about teaching confidence is they don't have a big desire for the things that money brings. I mean, they've had their fancy vacations. They've had their beautiful homes. They've always been in a nice leather seat in a car. You know, mm -hmm. they don't. So what are they really wishing and hoping? Oh, if only I, I guess in their own jet, maybe, because I don't have my own jet. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a lot of those things that kids reach for, poorer kids reach for, uh, older, you know, wealthier kids just don't have that opportunity, really. I agree with that, but what do you, you know what you told me at the end of our show, which surprised me that you didn't think becoming wealthy was all it was cracked up to be. Oh, you it's not. The, yeah, but you tell somebody the, who's not wealthy and they don't believe that. <laughs> no. But you're right. And you, you were the only person I've done 300 shows that's ever said that. Mm -hmm. And it's honest. And I think perhaps maybe they have the benefit of knowing that reaching for the house or the jet isn't really what life's cracked up about anyway. And they reach more for contribution. They yeah. reach more for serving other people. They reach more for happiness, you know, and maybe there's, that's a hidden gift in not reaching for those things. I, mm -hmm. my daughter has no interest in affluence, none whatsoever. None mm -hmm. of her ambitions involve money at all. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm actually sort of happy that that's the case. So how did you start your coaching business? Obviously it's your calling. I mean, mm -hmm. I swear to God, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, wait, I'm not doing enough. I'm feeling motivated. I'm not even sure what I should be shooting at, but I'm feeling <laughs> like I better get out there and get motivated. So if you're doing that to me and I'm usually the motivator, yes. uh, you're amazing at it. So how did you say, I'm going to be a coach. That's where I'm going to get started. Put my spade right in here. Yeah, I didn't do that. I started really as an entrepreneur and then that led into speaking. And then some mm. of these executives would see me speak and go, well, how, you know, mm. I don't know. I don't know how to say that. They're like, what planet are you from, man? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody like you. What do you yeah. know? And I would say, well, here's the deal. I had to get into personal development to become a baseline functioning human. I was so mm. low self-esteem and so far behind mm. that I got addicted to it. And I've learned these strategies about the brain. There's an art and science to your, you know, your reticular activating system in your brain and your visualizations and these other things I learned in my life, which led to them, hey, can we work together? And then one person says, you work with me, you need to talk to so-and-so at Countrywide, or you got to talk to this actor or this entertainer. And then it, you know, it's like anything, it, it starts to sort of reputation spreads. Mm. And I've been blessed that it's turned into really interesting work where I never got into this stuff that we're doing right here to be like the king of it. Mm. I got into it to help people influence other people. So mm. when I get the honor of working with someone who leads a country or is a very well-known actor or an athlete or something like that. I take that responsibility, that honor really, really seriously. And I'm, I'm good at just a few things. I'm not, I, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. I'm not a psychologist. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't 
I'm not going to fix that stuff for you, but I can help you build your confidence. I can help you change your brain. I can help you get focused. I can help you believe in yourself. I can help you communicate better. Mm. And so those are the things that I think people come to me for. And I, I love it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but I, I love doing it with entrepreneurs. I like, I kind of do both now. I do the kind of more influential people. And then I have some groups that I run that are for people that are starting businesses and things like that. I've never done it for the money part. Mm. And it was kind of cool to, it's kind of cool to eventually get to a place in my life where I'm not, everyone says, oh, you always should do a business because you love it. I've done a lot of things in business I didn't love. Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of things every single day. I don't want to do if you got up, if you don't love what you do every day, you shouldn't do it. Then I would like sit on my hands all day. I want that job. I want that job. (laughs) You and I both know that's ridiculous, right? I do things every day, have all my life that I really would rather not be doing, but I need to do. Yeah. And so the cool thing about the coaching part is I don't need to do it. Mm. And so it is the thing on my schedule. When I look at it, I go, I get to do this. Mm. I get to be with this person. And I think probably people sense that. And, And the last thing I'd say is that People always ask me, what do most of these really influential people want to work on? And you know, what I, I really want to ask it myself. So you have to tell me well, the craziest <laughs> thing is like, whether it's an athlete, I had a call this morning with someone that used to run a pretty decent sized country. And she, they, believe it or not, oftentimes it still comes down to their identity. It still comes down to hmm. the thoughts and concepts and beliefs that they hold to be most true about themselves. And Maybe sometimes they lack a sense of direction, but it's how do I change my identity? How do I believe I'm worth more? I deserve more. I des- And more often for a wealthy person is happiness. Mm. It's emotional things. For someone who doesn't have money in our culture, typically the things they want are, is stuff. For people that have stuff, the things they want are the emotions that they're not getting that they want in their life. And I know you know this mm. to be true. And so I can help you get stuff probably if you want to do that or hit, hit for a higher batting average or throw more touchdowns. But if you want to get the emotions, there's very few people who have some strategies for that kind of stuff. And so that's maybe where I come in. Uh, well, what about, I would think I'd love to be a bug in that room when you're doing mm-hmm. a session. And I'd like to ask you what a typical session involves is an mm-hmm. hour where you listen, what's really bothering you. And then you tune in and start giving advice to give them homework assignments, tests to do to build their confidence. Like how does that actually go? Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking here, um, I bet you most of the people in the end who have a lot of money want more emotion as you alluded um, what would you say to those people? How do you teach them to get more meaning out of their kids, their wife or the wife who left or their job? How do you teach that? Because I know a lot of people that are dead inside. They're loaded up with shit, but they're dead inside. They are dead, but they don't want to be most of them, Barbara. No, so they don't, here's the thing. How do you change that with an individual? Intention. And then I show them how to be intentional about it. Just stay with me on that. Seems uh-huh. basic, but Happy it's to. very important. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. People that have already achieved something, money, a batting average, an MVP, an election, whatever it might be, a movie, mm-hmm. these are people that are good at getting what they want. Mm. They are good. They've got the strength. They've got the energy. You want to call it a vibrational frequency to them. They know how to magnetize the things they want. The mm. problem is they got them and it's not what they thought it would be cracked up to be, as you and I have yes. talked about. It didn't fulfill me. It didn't make me happy because the whole time, that's not what they wanted. They thought if they got the jet, it would give them a feeling they want. They thought if they became the MVP, they would get a feeling that it didn't give them long-term. If they got the relationship, it would get them the feeling. 
So it's a matter now of saying you didn't want that stuff, even though that stuff's awesome. What you wanted was the feeling. Now we need to take mm. this part of your life and we need to be intentional about the feelings and the emotions you right. most want. And we can find them just like your reticular activating system finds the open receiver, found the good business deal, found the right building to buy, found the right client to close a real estate transaction. We now now to become obsessed and intentional about the emotions we want. What are they? Are they peace? Are they joy? Are they ecstasy? Are they energy? Are they drive? And now let's get intentional about finding those emotions. One more quick thing, because we're only on a podcast. You gravitate towards your most common emotion, even if it's not healthy for you. So you mm -hmm. gravitate towards what's familiar. The reason you got that house is because it was a dream you had over and over and over again, and you mm -hmm. moved towards what was familiar to you. Same with your emotion. If your primary emotion is anger or depression, you find a way to get it every single week, don't you? Everyone listening to this is like, yeah, I do. No matter what's going on, you'll get your anger. You'll get your fear. You'll get your worry. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of shifting that to get your peace, to get your... In, to get your um, focus, to get your confidence, to get your bliss. And then their strategies, I teach them to become intentional about it. And they're pretty good at finding it. You'll find out as long as they can get intentional about it. Because they have the capacity or they wouldn't have arrived where they had in the first place. So you redirect it. It sounds so it. simple, but I have to also say, it sounds like it works, does it? It does With Everyone, it does. most people or just... Do you find that you've I made would say a no, not everyone. No, yeah, not everyone. Well, you asked if I give homework assignments. I yeah. do give homework assignments and some of them, like I'm blown away by they can come back and do the strategies I teach better than me. Other mm. ones, it'll be 30 days later, we get back together and they have not worked on it. Mm. Life takes work. Now, already what exists inside of you, not to get really hokey, but happiness already exists in you. Bliss, ecstasy, joy, passion, peace. It's it's something within you. You, can t you don't have to go get it. It's there. It's yes. unblocking what's, and I know I'm going to sound, I don't know one of these fluffy people. No, you're I'm not, not. Real, please. Yeah. It's, it, it's there already. It's already in your presence. It's this idea that it's away from you, that is causing you to keep chasing something that you don't have to chase. You, you, you're chasing something and it's it was right where you were the whole time. Mm -hmm. So no, not everybody. I would love to tell you I bat a thousand. I do not bat a thousand. And but do you believe in majority. bad luck? Do you believe in bad luck? Some people just get born under the unlucky stars and everything goes a bit wrong. Do you believe I, it? I believe in temporary bad luck. Yes. Oh, I don't believe in permanent bad luck. Okay. I, I believe in temporary. Of course, I've had bad luck. Oh. I just had it happen this weekend. I made a putch to win a golf tournament, bounced out of the hole, and I lost. It was bad luck. It was a well, really good Well, guess what? Putt. You deserved it, big boy. You just deserved that <laughs> loss. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's maybe I did. Maybe it's maybe it's some reverse karma. I don't know. But yeah, I believe in bad luck for sure. But I don't believe that it's permanent bad luck. And like I said, everything is temporary. And I think we do sort of create long term in our lives what we believe we're worth. I'll share one analogy with you. Your identity is like a thermostat setting of your life sitting on the wall. Right now in this room, I write about it in the book. The thermostat setting here is like 73 degrees. The external conditions do not dictate the temperature in here. So it's like 90 degrees out here today. My air conditioner kicks on and cools it back down to 72. If it were great analogy. So in life, if your identity is 72 degrees and you begin to get 75, 80, 90 degrees of whatever it is, happiness, wealth, abundance, relationship. If you don't raise your identity, you will unconsciously turn the air conditioner on of your life and cool it right back down to 72, which is what you believe you're worth and you deserve. Mm -hmm. So the key is not only acquiring more skills, it's raising your identity so that you don't turn the air conditioner on every damn time you get something. You ever seen someone lose weight? And you're like, wow, you look great. 
You come back a year later, they put it all back on plus four more pounds or they're in their dream relationship. A year later, they broke up. They were, you and I know more people that used to be wealthy than currently are wealthy. And the reason is because they turn the air conditioner, they spend the money the wrong way. They do one too many deals. That's all your identity cooling your life back down. So I work on that thermostat setting more than anything with the people that I work with and with myself and people that work in my businesses is the thermostat setting. It really surprises me uh, that I was reading a lot about you and I kept seeing the figure I'm worth for or people talking about you being worth $400 million. Mm-hmm. I generally find when people are worth tens of millions of dollars, they don't talk about it. They kind of pretend they're not really worth it or don't want mm-hmm. to talk about it. Um, but you own three houses, three cars. Um, I'm oh. just wondering, oh, why are you so public about that? What What is, what is that? I don't, I don't know where that number came from. And is I'm not- up? Yeah, I don't. I'd, uh, I'd like to think it's more, but even if it's less, who cares, right? So, so I don't talk good about. Sounds enough to me. Yeah, no, I don't talk about it. Uh, uh, well, I maybe well, a lot of people are saying it about you. Just yeah. so you know. No, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not big on that at all, and I don't. That stuff's very fleeting. Like, uh, well, we've been sitting here. If the market's down, I've lost some, right? So who knows? Yeah. I have no idea what I'm worth. I don't think that's a big thing to talk about, and I'll candidly. Uh, it, it makes me uncomfortable, and yeah. the There's social people, media part of it. Yeah, I never talked about it till social media. And then, you know, get the picture of you with your plane or whatever. And yeah. so many, like, I finally had a publicist work with me. And they're like, can I just be frank with you? Some of this stuff that's out there that you post is not really who you are when you meet you. You're not, you know, oh, I really put, honest person. I really put, yeah, I put very little value on oh. that stuff. I, I, by the way, I would much rather fly a private than commercial. I'd rather eat a steak than go to Del Taco, right? Me but too. I, so I'm, I'm not saying I don't like this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. The value of it, a funny thing, before my dad died, my dad lived about, Barbara, about legitimately 500 yards from the airport that my jet was parked at for wow. 10 years. <laughs> my father never flew on that plane with me. Wow. And and never. I said, Dad, let's go to Hawaii and play golf. My dad said, well, why would I go all the way to Hawaii to golf with my son? I can golf here in Chino with the muni- municipal course. <laughs> it's not the golf. It's the time with my son. He had so, his head on straight. Yeah. Yeah. My parents never. My first nice house about my mom walks in and goes, what's the air conditioning bill here? Honey? I'm like, Mom, if you got to ask. I the love AC, her. I love you, her. <laughs> you can't buy the place, Mom. So it's not it's it's not anything I've ever even been rewarded for in my own family. So it's not a I don't know what I'm worth. I have no All idea. All right. I'm going to yank it up. I think it's more. I just was love curious it. I about more. that. I hope it's right. more. But tell me this, then, which is a more important question. Why is your show so successful? You're way up there. There's a million podcasts. What's your secret sauce? Because I want to imitate it. In other words, how do you get people falling in love with you? The degree that you do that drags other bodies into listen to you and it keeps growing. How does that happen? What's your formula? Give it to me straight. I'm mimicking it and you better not lie. Okay, well, you're, I'm not being humble either. You're better at this than I am and you already know. No, that. no, um, sir, I am not. I'd like to learn. Go ahead. Well, one is the caliber of the guests. So the better the show's done, the better you know, more interesting guests that you get. I actually really love people. I love their story. So if I get into a car and someone's driving me, I'm always, what's your story? Um, So if you ask anyone listening, this has ever been a waiter or waitress or a server of mine at a restaurant. I'll tell you, Ed Milet asked me my story. I love people's stories. People's stories fascinate me. It's like I was a, I was a broadcast major in college, Barbara, and then I never used it. Right. And then all of a sudden podcasts come along and I start one. And so some of those skills helped me, but I actually really believe it's my genuine interest and curiosity 
about people. I've had very well-known people on, and then and then it's the difference that, that you can make. I, I of all the well-known people I've had on my show, not a very long time ago, I went to this church for a while, and the pastor was just this wonderful man, and um, he passed away of leukemia. His son took the church over, and I knew who the son was. And then one week, my sister called me, went to the church, and she said, "You're not going to believe it, Pastor Dave passed away." Huh. And I said, "Well, what happened?" And she said, Eddie, he went to his, he had three little boys, six, four, and two, I believe. And he went to their flag football game. And then he was going to the church on Saturday to do the youth group Bible study. And he, he hung himself in the church. No. He hung himself in the church. I said, my gosh, is Kayla okay? His wife. And no, she's not. I said, let me see if I can help her, which turned into eventually I said, Kayla, would you come on my show and tell us what happens to a family when someone does this? And the amount of people after we did this one particular show that said, I was thinking about ending my life, but to hear what it did to these children and the mother, I can't yeah. do that. And so to me, it's the, it's the actual impact sometimes wow. the show makes, you know, where you go, wow, we're doing something pretty cool here that's helping people with their lives. What a, like, I, I'm not being corny either. I, there's some weeks I don't want to do it just like you. You're like, all right. But uh, most of the time, like what an honor to do this. I'm improving someone's life, changing mm. their life. And I'm genuinely usually interested in what they have to say. So to me, that's the secret sauce. And, and also what you do, I jump in, mm. I'll jump in and interrupt. I'll give my thoughts. It's not just a Q and a it's two people mm. uh, of some level of uh, wisdom, having a conversation on a regular mm. basis. So it's an exchange. So I was sitting like, it's almost like being at a Starbucks, like you do, and just listening to two people talk. And, and, and then it's just curious because when I listen, when I listen to your podcast, I'm far more interested and granted you have great guests and great stories, but I'm far more interested in hearing how you feel about whatever's being told. Mm. And so I, I almost sit there thinking, Oh, well, this guy is the show. It's not so important about the guests. It's not so important about the variety. It's not so important. It's just people are falling in love with Ed and more people come and listen. And I think much like me, I think most people really want to hear your thoughts on everything. Do you, do you feel that way? Or do you think it's the guests that's drawing all this traffic to you? I think the guests audience? draw the traffic, but I definitely think when it's your audience, particularly in your case with your uh -huh. following and your brand, they want to know what you think about things. Uh -huh. And I think sometimes the guest pulls things out of you that yes. wouldn't have happened if you weren't talking with them. And I think Absolutely. clearly that happens with, with, with me as well. And, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I think in your case, at least like when I had you on, I wanted to be so prepared because I respect you so much. Mm. So the the level of preparation that I do out of respect to the people listening and to the person that's so going to be important. on it is a big deal for me. So important. Do you know if I'm interviewed, even a short interview by someone who said, so tell me about your background. I'm like, I want to kill them. I, yes. uh, my Irish comes up, you know? Me too. And it, I know exactly. Uh, so I apologize to you for misquoting about the 400 million. I read that a lot of places. I wasn't trying to say. No, no, it's all over the internet. You, know. you didn't misquote it. It says yeah. it everywhere. I just have no idea whether they're right. And I don't know where they got the number no, from. Gonna but... do, I'm going to start quoting you as worth 700 billion. There we and go. I want to see if much, that even sticks. I'm going to really mess it up out there, you know? <laughs> much more much more to my liking. Okay, good. <laughs> so, Ed, tell me about your book. Why is this book your best book ever? Uh, it's The Power of One More. I got to say something. Great title, by the way. Great Thank title. Mm. I, the premise is real simple. Mm. Like I said earlier, that you're one relationship, one meeting, one more rep. I, for me, you want to change your identity? 
keep the promises you make to yourself. You want to have an amazing identity, exceed the promises you make to yourself. So if I'm going to do 10 phone calls in a day, I do 11. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to tell my daughter I love her once a day, I do it one more time. Mm -hmm. And I, I stack these one mores. I think it's the first book, if I'm bragging, that's ever linked the thoughts you're supposed to have and the actions you're supposed to take in congruency. So it's easy mm -hmm. to say you need one more relationship, one more meeting, mm -hmm. one more emotion. How do I do that? What a neat idea. Okay, duh. How do I do it? What do I think and what do I do? Think and Grow Rich is an amazing book. It's one of the best five books I've ever uh, read. Unbelievable and stays as strong as the day it was written. In my right opinion. here. Boom. I got oh. it right here next to mine. Here's the thing. It's just thoughts. You Tell me you have yours on yourself too. Do you really? I have a dog, uh, one that's totally torn apart. This is my showpiece. I don't use this one, but I use the one at home. It's all torn up. Look at this. We have the same cover on the same book, right? Right. Oh, come on. We planned this. Who are you kidding? Last time I was sleeping with you, I stole that book, got another one, flipped it to That is house. missing from my bedroom, Barbara. Now I know where it went. I've got it. Okay. Now the whole world knows what we're doing. Okay. So, anyway, no, but it's, a, it's about thinking, which is amazing. Then there's books on action. Fabulous. What if there's one that said, here's how you do them both at the same time? That's your and book. So, so that's what I'm doing. And then because I want to, I, I used to say one thing I am doing, I think is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I uh, I want to get people to pre-order the book, which they could do now. So I'm mm -hmm. doing an event May 27th. It's a virtual event. And if you pre-order my book, it's free. Whoa. That's it. And here's who's speaking. Myself, Andy Fursella, Maria Menunos, Jenna Kutcher, uh, uh, Damon John, um, uh, Rob Dyrdek from MTV, Eric Thomas. In uh, one day, May 27th? May 27th, it's a virtual event. All you got to do wow. is get the pre-order of the book and you get to go. And there's no, it's not one of these free events wow. and then we sell you a bunch of stuff. I got nothing else to sell you. So so <laughs> the book, I, the last thing I say, Barbara, about the power of one more uh -huh. is having it taken from you. And you'll see the value of what one more is. I was with my dad on his one last day, which he still oh. stayed sober on. I held his hand for his one last breath, right? And oh. if what if I... Do you know what I would give right now for that one more round of golf and Chino with my dad? Mm. Not for the golf, because we both suck, mm. but five hours in a golf cart with my best friend, right? Oh, what boy. would I give for one more round with my dad? But I don't have it. And that's the power of one more. When I take it from you, you go, wow. My daughter, who I get to walk into tonight and go, hey, baby, I love you for the second time of the day, because I always do one more. She's going to go away to college next year. The mm -hmm. fact that I'm going to lose that opportunity for the one more makes me so much more appreciative mm -hmm. and present in the one now. Mm -hmm. So if you wonder whether there's power to one more, there is when I take it from you. Mm -hmm. And so if you have people here that you love, take advantage of that because you don't know. Here's the crazy thing. Barbara, you and I someday and everyone listening to this, we're going to have one more day. Mm -hmm. We're going to have one more breath. And I think the thoughts that we should have in our heads is what do I want to be feeling in those moments? What do I want to have accomplished? Who do I want to have become? Who do I want to have loved? Where do I want to have been? What are the memories? What's the difference I want to have made? Because this, I think everyone thinks everyone else is going to die, not them. Someday we all will. And so you, I Napoleon Hill says in the book, when you have a goal, begin with the end in mind. Mm, you have a life. Exactly. In my book, I say, begin with the end in mind. Mm. What do you want the end to look like? Whether you're religious or not, to me, heaven is when I go to heaven, I'm going to get introduced to the man I could have been. I was capable of becoming the difference I could have had, the emotions I could have had, the memories I could have made, all the stuff I could have done. I think you meet the person you were capable of becoming, the destiny version of you. I believe mm. this. Mm. And I think heaven is you meet her and your identical twins. Mm. Hell, hell would be the end of your life. You go meet this woman you were created to be and you're total strangers. 
Oh gosh. You didn't have the guts. You didn't make the decisions. You didn't chase the things. You didn't go for it. You didn't call the shots. You didn't take the risks. You didn't play the game. You get to the end of it and you don't have one more day. Mm. You don't have one more time. That's hell. And so the and good you thing are scaring the shit out of me. Cut it out. Well, in your case, you are your, scaring me. Come on, cut it out now. In your case, and here's why I know you're not scared. Because I am know, scared. I'm wondering what I've missed. You know, no, you haven't. This is Barbara. Listen, this is for you. You're such an amazing example. I think of certain people that I've talked with that I go, this person, what a story. You're one of those people. You have done it and you're still doing it. You're still doing it every day. We don't know what the ultimate person's supposed to be, but we know when there's an opportunity or there's a choice or there's a decision, it's a heck of a barometer. Does this get me closer to that possible person? Or is this choice or this decision moving me away? So where can people find you, Edge? We sadly have come to the conclusion of your valuable hour. Thank you. You find me on social media. I got a podcast. All over the pretty darn good. place. All over, just like you. You can Google me, find out I'm worth $400 million. <laughs> I will never say that again. But more no. importantly, we can order the power of one more right now. We don't have to wait till it's out. Thank you, Barbara. Yeah. Thank All, right. You. All right. I'm going to do that right now when I hang up. Good. Please. please. <laughs> You're amazing. You're really amazing. Thank you very much. So are you. Honor to okay. be with you. Honor here. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.